0: Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. Oh, this isn't, this is, I yes. it's just.
1: Yeah, we're, are we, are we recording yet? We're not. Yeah, there we go. Now we're on. Yes. We Live. Now we're on. Uh, so yeah. the question is, and I, and I love this question. And this question is different for every business, but the question yeah. and the reason I love it is because it's so important to business. It's so important yeah. to business. And It's something that no matter, unless you're in the real estate, which is why real estate is like the greatest business ever, because there's just a lot yeah. of things that just don't apply to real estate that apply to every yeah. other business in the world. But, yeah. um, Every business needs to worry about, or not worry, but keep their eye on the ball when it comes to retention. Jiu-jitsu schools, yeah. you need to worry about, not worry, Worry is the wrong word, uh, but just be focused on retention. And yeah. Uh, yeah. we're talking about a specific um, place that your wife works out at, mm-hmm. and they are having some retention problems, and the question came up as yeah. to, you know, Why do you think that is? Why do you think retention is a problem there? And it's not, it's usually not one thing. It's usually several different things. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is that the first thing is you bring someone in who kind of has a business, like business sense. um, And ideally it would be in a very similar, like if you could get another gym owner to give you their perspective. Um, But then after that, What I like to do is what, like what you would do with an employee, you do offboarding on the client. And so basically you interview the client and they're not always going to be honest, but sometimes they will be right. Like the the offboarding will be an opportunity to really keep them on board, right? Like what can we do to keep you on board? And oftentimes when they answer that question, they're going to indirectly tell you why they are leaving, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Is it a matter of price? Is it a matter of, you know, is it the scheduling? Like they don't have time slots that just fit their 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 life things things like that. Yeah, yeah,
2: no, that. Yeah, and it's funny you say that even because I would actually push back even on the real estate um, uh, tenant retention is extremely important. So finding uh, out, you, know, you are you right, know, right?
1: Like commercial is different. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Cause it's, it's, I mean, even, commercial, I mean, if you get a good tenant, like you want to hold on to them, um, but commercial for yeah, sure. So that, that becomes something where, um, and I, I think any sort of in any, the problem is with, with, uh, we see this in jujitsu gyms all the time. It's always like, well, you know, you just show people the best jujitsu and everything else takes care of itself. And it's like, the problem is, is that this actually is going to tie in nicely with this book that we're going to talk about when you're too much of a specialist, the further down you, you go down the road, it's almost the worse it becomes. And what I mean by that is that if you're a jujitsu guy, like I've been doing jujitsu for 20, almost 28 years now. So my perspective is warped in a lot of ways because I have trouble remembering life before jujitsu. So then like the idea of like, it's somebody's first day or somebody's like quitting jujitsu. Or I was talking to a buddy of mine who's been training longer than me and he was like yeah i kind of lost interest and i was like how is that possible (laughs) because i'm so far down the road that it just it doesn't seem possible for me that that somebody's not going to be obsessed with it and want to do it and like constantly be interested in it and and just thinking about it on a daily basis because that's what i do and that's what i've done for almost all my adult life uh so with it you know we see this in jiu-jitsu it's like they're like oh we just you know present great jiu-jitsu and you get all these students but the problem is, is that you're coming from the perspective of being an expert, of being immersed, in it, of being in that world already and saying like, wow, considering all the other schools, I'm presenting the best jujitsu world that I know. But when you have somebody who's never stepped in that world, who, who knows nothing about it, it can look very differently. So rather than looking at it from your veteran eyes, it's almost like you have to take an outside non-expert look at it. And this book talks a lot about the idea of like a lot of problems in science and different things have actually been solved by people who are not, quote unquote, experts in the field and sometimes weren't in the field at all. And sometimes weren't even scientists, because sometimes you get so ingrained in like, okay this is the way we do things and and all that kind of stuff that you forget. So with your talking about the gym, I think it would be interesting to have another gym owner. I think it'd be interesting to have a jiu-jitsu school owner, somebody like Robati come in because somebody who knows how to run a business, but it would also be interesting to have somebody like Doc Snow, a chiropractor, somebody who's not in the gym business, but still in sort of the health world, who's very, very, very good at getting new clients and client retention, like one of the best I've ever seen, like has too many damn clients in many ways. So it's like somebody who's, that would be a much more interesting thing because they're going to have a system set in place of follow-up of, you know, direct mail marketing of like really figuring out how can we best serve you? And that is something that you can have a great gym. I mean, the gym that she goes to is a great gym. It's got great facilities. Everything is brand new. You've got great um, trainers. You've got all this kind of stuff. But the problem is, is that that's assuming that somebody comes in there knowing that's what they want. But what if they don't, don't know what they want? Or what if it's like, there's something bugging them and they feel like no one's even asked or no one even cares or whatever, then it's like all that stuff doesn't matter. So the psychology of that I I think is extremely important because as we know, in really any business, it's almost always better to retain a current client. It's almost always cheaper than it is to get new ones. New ones are almost
1: always more expensive. Oh yeah, that's such an important... Principle, You know, we were talking the other day after training about some of the universal principles um, for jiu-jitsu and for business and that yeah. I would say is a universal Principle in my opinion yes. that yeah. yes, you always want to acquire new clients. But for me, it, it, and it's almost different. Yes It is economically Cheaper to hold on to existing clients, but for me it almost yeah. comes down I constantly tell Saliha or any of the um, you know, people, other people that we work with, is that it's so very much important to me when it comes to Robles, is to take care of the people that have already invested money in us. Like those yes. to me are the most special people in the world. And it's like, I wake up every day thinking, how can I let them know how much I appreciate them? Um, because when you're a business owner and you're just starting and you haven't even made a dollar, uh, and then you get people that are actually starting to spend money in your business, uh, that has always stuck with me. I mean, Robles has been around almost for 10 years now, but, uh, I remember what day one was like. And today is a lot different than what day one was like, but I have not forgotten day one. And it makes me very, very grateful for the people that have already invested in us. And I think businesses sometimes lose sight of that because they want to grow their profits. And yeah. so they automatically think well we can grow our profits by bringing on new customers but really what you're doing is creating a revolving door because you're mm-hmm. going to take your eye off the existing customer so yes you bring in this new customer but you lose an old customer and it's just this yeah. revolving door yeah. right and so it's almost like
0: you've nice. got to have yeah. a
1: salesperson that's just focused on retention and then you have to have a salesperson that's focused on bringing new new yes. clients right um, a question I had for you yeah. is: What's your take on? Do you believe that? Let's say we have a jujitsu school. Do you believe the salesperson needs to be someone that does jujitsu? No, I don't
2: think so. I don't think so. Like, I mean, I think that I think in many ways it actually
1: it depends. I, I think agree it with depends you by on, the way couple, because this is something in but, the you know you you know that we own a paint company, and this is one of the yeah. things is that. I have, I have talked to a lot of salesmen in the paint world, and yeah. uh, one of the best salesmen I've ever talked to, um, I, I told him about that. I was like, I need to find better salespeople, but I really want them to know about painting. And he's like, no, that's really beneficial, but really, like, what you need to tell them about your specific industry, you don't have to be like a painter or technical. What you really want to find is just a good salesperson and teach them about yeah. paint, not the other way around. You don't want someone that really knows everything about paint, but he's terrible at selling. You just want a good salesperson. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's a mistake that almost every jiu-jitsu school makes is that feeling like you got to have somebody working the desk who is on the mat as well. And the problem is, is that for the most part, when you think about people that have the time and inclination to be working the desk in a jiu-jitsu school, it's like, usually they don't have a whole lot going on in their life. And sometimes that's okay, they found their thing, and they're going to go full forward. And they're going to be great at sales and all that. But I think it's immensely easier to get an outside salesperson. Because like you said, if you're good at sales, and you're comfortable with that, then what you're selling, it doesn't matter that much. Because most people they want to, like, There, there's a problem that they want to have solved. We you know, in the painting world, it's like I, I have this you know i don't like the way this house looks anymore there's something maybe specific or maybe it just doesn't make me it doesn't feel right anymore it feels old or it brings old memories and it's the salesperson's job to figure out what that problem is and we can solve it well jujitsu is the same way it's like there's some people that like you know they're a wrestler they were a tough guy they're a boxer they want to like beat up people even better you know mo walks into that jujitsu school they're like oh yeah now you're gonna be able to beat them up even more you know there's some people that are terrified of any sort of physical confrontation. And that's something that they want to get over. Like it's something that bothers them. There's other people where they're self conscious about how they look. So there can be a host of different problems. And a good salesperson is going to ask the right questions in order to get the person to talk and tell them what their problem is. And therefore,
1: jujitsu can solve their
2: problem. Um, Do you that put to that to me is in a line? Skill that
1: I was going to say, do you feel this concept falls in line with the book that you're reading right now, where you're bringing someone in who's not a specialist to sell your product? I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, because it's like, in many ways,
2: um, it's good to have somebody from the outside who doesn't do jiu jitsu because they're going to see things that are so accepted in jiu jitsu that may be turning off a lot of potential customers. I'll give Mm. you an example. So, um, my nephew, Eddie is doing jiu-jitsu. He's eight years old. He's pretty good already. He's already pretty good. And I was in Florida um, a few months ago with Chantel, and we went to one of his classes. So it was pretty cool to watch. I got to watch the whole class and all that stuff, and I really liked his instructor, and I liked the way they ran class. But as soon as they came in, like, jiu-jitsu schools a lot of times have a certain smell. There's, like, the, the smell of the gi that's, like, kind of the funk, and then like and then it gets sweaty. And it's got a specific smell in it. For me, it's a very familiar smell because I smelled it for a long, long time. My wife, Chantel, who is not new to gyms at all, spends a you know a huge portion of her day at a gym, was like, ooh, this place smells like, and, and it was really like the more the stink, you know, the hotter it got, the stinkier it got, and the more it really bothered her. And I'm like, that's an important thing to notice. Having an outsider who's not like afraid of physical stuff or hard work or anything like that. It's still like, this is like off-puttingly smell, like smells bad. So maybe investing more money in fans or a better circulation system or, you know, some sort of deodorizer or something like that, it might not be a bad thing. It probably wouldn't cost that much money. And when somebody walks in and it smells like nice or it smells like fabulosa or Tide or something like that, it's like, oh, it smells good in here. And somebody who would be like, oh, it's going to be like, oh, okay, it smells good what are these guys doing? Like they they look at it with different eyes. So having an outsider come in for sales, I think is good because they are new to jujitsu. The person you're looking to attract is probably new to jujitsu as well. So that's going to be a better pair of eyes versus, you know, somebody who spent a lot of time there. It's like you just start to lose perspective on how new and intimidating and crazy this is to most people that are your potential students.
1: Do you think you run into a problem though? Like if you start, uh, cause now being devil's advocate and first of yeah. all, I'm in agreement with you. I think that you just yeah. need to be a good problem solver and yeah. being able to connect with people. Yeah. Um, but do you think now being devil's advocate now, do you think it becomes a problem when you try to sell jujitsu or you try to sell whatever product you're trying to sell and then the client will ask you, well, so do you use the product or do you do it too? And then it's like, nah, man, I don't do that, but it's a great, it's, it's great well, if you do it. I mean, it's one of those things. I think that,
2: um, there's definitely, cause there's, there's a couple of things you you could sort of go with this and we'll just say it like, I'm just going to be blown about it because why not? Um, <laughs> so if you've got somebody who's, you know, really obese or somebody who's clearly not a workout person working a front desk in in any sort of gym environment, that's probably not a good visual. And people can bitch and moan about that all they want. Fair enough. Life's tough. Um so so there can be there there is a there is a line. You know what I mean? Like um if somebody to me it's it could be that somebody comes in the desk, and maybe there is a requirement that they at least have to go through like a basics class, or something like that. Something to have a little bit of knowledge once they get in. Because oh, I were, like
1: that. That's really you good. Know, yeah, I, I
2: think it is important to. So I'll give you. I'll give you another example. Um, Uber got taken over by. There's a new, relatively new CEO of Uber, who was, you know, trying to. Because that company had a lot of issues, especially during COVID and all that. People's Uber riding ridership went way down. Like I didn't take an Uber at all during COVID. Like, because I was like, I'm just I'm just not doing it. Um and a lot of people didn't. So it went way down. And they had a new CEO take over. And one thing that he ended up doing was driving an Uber. So he would he didn't tell people who he was. And I think one person actually recognized him, but for the most part he didn't. And he was like wow like a lot of people are really rude and sometimes I can't see how far I'm supposed to take somebody until I already accept the ride or you know somebody else like there was a lot of difficulties of the driver position that he did not realize until he actually was a driver so that's important as well like I think having that experience having a little skin in the game is important however I don't think it's important for this guy to continue to drive an Uber like every day. Like eventually it's like he probably should get back to the business of running Uber because that's more important. So with somebody who is working a desk, I think they should experience jujitsu. And if they want to train after that, then that's fine. But it's there should be some experience like, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I think that because it's like we're saying, like, if no, they have no experience in Jiu Jitsu, and then they start working there, what happens after they start working there? Are they still required to not have experience? I, I think it's okay to say that they should learn something about their product. It's just like, you may not be a painter, but you've learned enough about painting to talk about it. And I think that's probably the most important thing. It's like learning. enough. Yes. To it's like with any business, like I'm never going to be a builder, I'm never going to be a contractor, I'm never going to pick up a hammer. But I know enough to be able to speak the language. And I think that's important. And, and like enough to learn, know that I don't know that much and try and keep learning more. So I think there's there's sort of a twofold thing, like the person, because anybody who's good at sales is gonna know they need to learn at least a certain amount of the product. They need to learn how to speak the language. So that's that's important as well. Cause I think it's, so I think it's a balance, you know, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. i, I, how but fun- I
0: say, No, sorry. go ahead.
1: I was gonna say, how far along? Not, not to switch gears a little bit, but just because I'm overly anxious to hear about this. Yeah. How far along are you in that book? And so far, what have been some of the the biggest uh, concepts you've taken away? So I'm just about halfway done. This book is called Range, and it's I'm gonna pull up
2: the. Uh, let's see. It's um it's called Range: Why Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World, and it's by a guy named David Epstein and uh, about halfway done. And what I really like about it, well, number one, I mean, honestly, it makes me feel good about myself because I'm a person who's tried a lot of different things in life. And there are times where I'm like, man, I wish like when I was 24 and I quit working in a lab, I wish I had just moved to Austin right then and there and started buying up real estate. I'd probably be a billionaire by now. And then I'm just like, or, or i would have crashed and burned and like done like nothing and like this was the the destiny i was meant to take and um what the book's basic idea is that we think that if you the, the the main analogy uses in the beginning is tiger woods and roger federer so tiger woods people probably know was you know considered to be i guess the best golfer of all time and he started well his father started teaching him golf at a very, very young age. And he was actually playing golf by like two or three and competing by the time he was like four and beating adults by the time he was like six or seven. So it was like this idea of like, oh, well, if you want to create this great prodigy, you just start teaching them when they're super young. You have them super focused on only one sport and you'll get the next Tiger Woods. But then there was Roger Federer, who many people would say is the best tennis player of all time. And he played, like, every sport. Like, He wrestled. He did this. He did that. He did all these different sports and tried stuff. And then he, at some point he's like, you know, I like sports with a ball the best. So he's playing, you know, basketball and this and that and, like, just different things. And then at some point started playing tennis and was like, okay, well, this is kind of like this, but it's got this strategy and it's, you know, it's on a court just like basketball, but it's like the – and it just – it started clicking and he started getting really good really fast, but he was – already, I think, a teenager by the time he started, which in tennis is like ancient. I mean, oh, my God, it's so old. And yet he became arguably the best player of all time. And so the idea is that as much as we want to give like children and things like that, like a head start, and there's literally programs for kids called Head Start, it just gets people further down the path quicker. But in the end, things tend to even out a lot more and in many ways the people that are generalists in the beginning like try different things and all that they tend to actually end up doing better in the long run than the people that are the super specialists right from the beginning and i like that because i definitely consider myself a generalist i think you've been a more successful generalist but i think you you or you've been like sort of a a multiple specialist in many
1: things that have seemingly <laughs> not connected but they are connected and that's I, I had someone tell me all time, Mom. Well, it seems it seems like you don't know what you're doing. You're just throwing a bunch of spaghetti on the wall.
2: Well, and that's <laughs> but that's and that's part of, you know, you and I were talking about that analogy yesterday. And that's true, and that's great. Because another another thing that I'm gonna read this quote too. Um, and that's actually this quote almost ties in with what you're talking about. Instead of working back from a goal, work forward from promising situations. That's spaghetti on the wall. That's just saying I'm throwing this on the wall. Oh, that's stuck okay, well, let me look at this a little bit more and let me play around with this. And I always saw that in jiu-jitsu. Like, I, and it's funny because there's, there's like the world that I hear in jiu-jitsu, which is like, you've got to drill, you've got to do this, you got to watch this video, you got to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's what I hear. But then what I see with all the guys I know that are the best guys is none of that. They're not drilling. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. They, they in the beginning, they threw spaghetti on the wall and they're like, oh, this seems to work pretty well. Okay, keep messing around with this. Okay, so if they stop this, then I could do this. Or how do I get back into this position again, like from somewhere else? And they just, they started building from success. And it was not this great plan of I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. It's like, oh, this is just what worked for me. And so I build on it. And that's, that spaghetti on the wall idea is, sort of how i've lived a lot of my life and i think that's how you've lived a lot of your life and it's always like yes. this idea that you're supposed to have this long-term plan and and what they the author seems to find is that really it's it's short-term planning and making adjustments and seeing what works and then figuring okay what's the next logical step from this okay i'll do this or whatever and it's like i look at i mean i'm a, like right now i'm a commercial real estate developer I, I didn't plan to do that. I mean, four years ago, I had no plans of doing that. It literally was like, I was like, okay, I want to get out of residential. And I looked at a bunch of stuff and i tried you know, apartments or whatever. I'm like, yeah, I don't really like the people. And I feel like that's going to crash, which it has. Um, and I, but I I was like, you know, let me, let me mess around, try some other stuff. And I had a phone conversation with a guy who had built some warehouses and that made sense. And, And then, so it just kind of built up from there. It wasn't a grand plan. It was just a series of smaller things that seemed to work. I feel like I lost you for a sec, but you're back.
1: You did. I, I, yes, we uh, lost a
2: little bit of connection, but it's all good. I'm sure I was back. saying incredibly uh, important things. I was just basically saying that the idea of um, they talk about the idea of short term planning. And it's how that's much more what successful people do than long term planning in terms of like you do a short-term plan you start seeing okay this this seems to be working pretty well like what's the next logical step from this and you know I was just talking about like commercial real estate and like for me it just really started with a phone call with a, with the guy is now my broker and he was just talking about oh, you know, this warehouse is for sale and you could do this this and this and you got room to build another one and then this is what it would rent for and all that and I was like, Oh, that's interesting. And then you know, we talked more and then there was, um, you know, a deal that came out, like it just was sort of this serendipitous thing. And that's what's interesting is that I always felt like, okay, that's, I'm not really doing this the right way. I should have like gone to college for this Mm -hmm. and and, like done this and done that. And, And what this book is interesting is it's like, there's a lot of people out there that did things the wrong way. And it's, um, it's just sort of an interesting way way from understanding this. And what they also tie in is the fact that a lot of solutions like we talked about before, like a lot of solutions are actually figured out by people that are not even in the field of study at all. In fact, they said like the further the problem was from the solver's expertise, the more likely they were to solve it. And they they actually started talking about this from like a an open source type of thing when they started putting like Problems that companies were having with you know d- new chemicals or new this or new that, they just started putting the problems online and saying like does somebody have an answer? And they're like they're getting you know new chemical compounds from lawyers. And there's this one guy who's like well it seems like is the same thing as cream of tartar like the the little powdery stuff. And like he had this whole thing and like it turned out to be the solution they were looking for from, from some like random lawyer who just became a chef and was interested in cooking or something like that, like and just figured this thing out. Or like the guy who, it's funny. Okay, so um, a a Frenchman who learned how to preserve food, he would put things into, um, I think, champagne bottles and then put them in boiling water for a few hours. And this is how he learned how to preserve food. And they had all these scientists that were specializing in preservation that were trying to figure out how to do this. And this guy was just a chef. But he's like, "You know, sometimes we needed to keep the meat for a little bit longer, so we would do this and do that. So what if I tried this? And he just kind of tinkered around and he figured out the answer. So um, yeah, I think it's it's sort of an argument against specializing because if you specialize so much, a lot of times you just lose all perspective. And when you lose all perspective, then you almost forget what your specialization was for. To begin with and this brings me back i'm just going to keep riffing on this this brings me back to a quote that i heard that was instrumental in me changing directions in my life so i was um how old was i at the time I was about 24 at the time 24 25 and i had just finished working in a lab so i worked in a lab the last like six months i was in college and then a year after college i worked in this lab doing um like cancer suppressing genes in mice and stuff like that. So I did a lot of uh, DNA testing, a lot of the, the um, you know, all the diff- different stuff like that, and just, just a lot of things like that. And um, it was interesting enough, but I, I just kind of was like trying to figure out what's my next step in life. And I, I was like, maybe I'm going to move to Japan and teach English. I was like, maybe I'm going to try and become an actor. Maybe I'm going to try and get a PhD. Maybe I'm going to try and get a master's degree and then go to medical school. Like I had all these different sort of options. And I was sitting there and I was listening to these guys. I was sitting near um, uh, like a coffee place near, uh, um, I think it was near UCLA. I'm trying to remember where it was. I, it would be like when I was seeing my sister up in Harvard or was out in LA by UCLA. But, but somewhere there was a lot of grad students. And I listened to these guys talk. And this guy said, you know, you're going to spend 10 years of your life working on this phd and writing papers and doing all this stuff and eventually maybe you'll get published in one of the major magazines or the major publishers for for your field and maybe a thousand people are going to read your article and of those a thousand people only a hundred people are even going to understand what you're talking about and of those a hundred people only ten of them are going to care and I heard that and I was like, I'm doing something else with my life. Like immediately. <laughs> That was it. I was like, I'm just, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, cause I didn't really care what I was doing. I mean, it was sort of interesting in a way, but even like the conclusions that were reached, I'm like, I don't really even know if I believe these conclusions. And I was like, if I don't really care. And even if I get this thing published, which I was on a few papers, like that, probably 100 people read and or understood and 10 people cared about I it. I read
1: it. I didn't understand Yeah, exactly. You are
2: one, one of the uh, the 900. So <laughs> it's just like one of those things that it's like, why am I doing this? Like, if I don't really care about this and currently nobody's going to care, then why am I doing it? And that made me change my life. So um, I don't know. It, it's, it was a really interesting way of looking about things. And um, the book I'm talking about. And so it's just made me, It's made me actually very interested in what comes next. He has a great story about a woman who was the CEO of Girl Scouts back in the 70s. And this woman literally like, I think she was sort of just a housewife. And then she had done like different things and volunteered for stuff. And she basically was like, she said in her life, she had been CEO of four different companies and didn't want any of those jobs and rejected a bunch of other offers. Like she just sort of incrementally got into these different things and just sort of somehow became the CEO of Girl Scouts because she was talking to people about ideas and things like that. And and somehow the job came open and she did it and she totally revolutionized Girl Scouts and made Girl Scouts cookies like a real thing that was bringing in like $400 million a year back in the 70s. I mean, like she was she basically there would be no Girl Scouts if this if there weren't for this woman. And she did this when she was like 55. Like she wasn't like a new, like she was, and she had no experience being a CEO of a company at all at this point. So, or you take uh, that kind
1: of goes to a different idea a little bit though, and it's a very very interesting idea to me because I've been dealing with this lately, and I don't know why it is, but as you do research, right? Like, so I'm always studying like how to be a better entrepreneur. I'm that is my craft, right? Like if I when I was boxing, oh. I'm just gonna focus on yeah. trying to perfect my craft here. If you're doing jiu same thing, you're waking every day. And as an entrepreneur, you're trying to perfect your craft, right? And as you learn new things, you're like, oh, I get this now, you know, but I'm already this age. How come I couldn't, why wouldn't, how come I didn't realize this when I was 25, when I was 30, because like you said, I would have already, whatever, you know, I'm I'm throwing up air quotes, but like I've already would have made it by now, you yeah. know? Yeah. But now I'm starting too late. I'm even wondering, yeah. is it too late for yeah. me to achieve the yeah. dreams and the goals that I have? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you so do. that's why I love to hear what you're, what you're really talking about now is one, yeah. it's never too late. And number two, you're only able to understand what you understand now because of the things you've gone through in the past. In other words, you have that path. Yeah. There is no other route you could have taken. And had you taken a different route, you wouldn't be where you are today. So you wouldn't even be asking the very same question that we're asking yeah. now.
2: Yeah, 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 I agree. I agree. And, and it's, you know, I mean, because I think what, if anything, this book made me kind of go like, well, huh, what, what's next? What else is out there? I'm excited to find out. I don't know what it is. And I'm okay with, because I kept thinking like, I'm like, I should plan out further than my basic plan right now is like, I'm doing this next construction project it should probably take me until you know about a year from now before it's done and probably another year before it's totally leased out or whatever and i'm like i have no plans outside of that like i don't know what happens after that i don't even know if that happens at all i mean like and i kept feeling like almost guilty about that i'm like i should plan for the next thing and the next thing i'm like why because everything i've ever tried to plan long term in my life has never happened it's like to me it's much more important to well, let's do this and let's see what happens with this and then from that we will figure out the next thing because it's like let's say this thing just bombs completely and no one lives in this thing and i just end up trying to blow it up or whatever well it's probably not good for me to build another one after that Well, let's see let's let's say the opposite let's say it's leased out before it's even done might be a good idea for me to build another one after that you know it's like i, I don't know it, it's it made it much easier it just sort of made things that I was already doing feel like it was okay, which was maybe that's a silly thing to get out of something, but it's like, I, fair enough. That's what I got out of it so far is that it's okay to not have this grand plan. And there's that. Pretend of- not
1: necessarily know the answer.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right?
1: And like, being okay with that's it. That's such a big deal, is it? People stay up all night trying to figure out the answer to business problems and yeah. trying to figure out the answer to jujitsu problems yeah. trying to figure out the problems for life and they won't go to bed until they their mind has settled on yeah. this is the answer i yeah. pinpointed yeah. this is the answer to the problem and i think you're right i think the answer comes to you kind of like you know what was it like isaac newton when the when he was sitting underneath an an apple tree right like he wasn't really thinking about gravity and i don't even know if the story is true but i think it's a good analogy because that's happened to me in my life like you have to stop thinking about the problem sometimes to find the solution
2: yeah yeah and it's almost like having faith in your ability there's some people that are really good at this they just have total faith in their ability to sort of um figure it out as it goes along and there's others that that are, don't have that necessarily that same faith but you know i, I think that sort of understanding that you'll be able and, and this is a big thing for like jujitsu and combat and stuff like that because i think that anytime in a jiu-jitsu sense i'm like okay like yesterday like with you i'm like okay i'm gonna do this this and this and literally none of that happened at all like there was no what i planned or i thought in my head i was gonna do didn't happen because it's like if you try and make something happen that's not there then that's when you get tired that's when you get hurt that's and that's and i think in a fight that's when you really get hurt and they always say this like when does a guy get knocked out when he's trying to force the knockout so it's like you see the guys you see this a lot where it's like they're they're forcing something and they're not you see this there was like old Chuck Liddell fights where he's like forcing that crazy uppercut as he's doing it the other guy's boom hitting him with the the overhand right or whatever like because he's he's so focused on trying to get this thing he's not realizing there's a piss coming right at me I'm just too concerned with my own fist so um versus the guys that are really in the moment and have trust in their ability to read the situation as it's happening and react appropriately those are the best fighters those are your bernard hopkins those are your floyd mayweather's those are your john jones i mean like guys that are just a level above everybody else i think a big part because it's it's okay yeah they have good technique i mean there's good things that they do but their ability to read fighters and make adjustments in real time that's to me what separates the best of the best versus everyone else and part of that is just i think having faith in their ability to do it and i mean i remember um The best guy I've ever trained with in Jiu Jitsu was Crohn Gracie, still to this day. That was like 12 years ago and still is the best guy. And I remember hearing an interview with him and they're like, Well, what do you think about when you step on the mat to compete? And he goes, Nothing. Like, he's like, If if I'm thinking about something, then I'm messed up. Like, I should, I think about nothing. And I was like, That seemed crazy to me, but it's like, but that allows him to be fully in the moment. And just reacting to the situation as it's happening if he's thinking oh i got to do this oh now he's already in his head you know and it's like that was uh that was really interesting i heard him say that after i trained with him too which made me appreciate it more because i still i have trouble explaining to people how good that guy was like i've never experienced that before before. dude i love it
1: you can outthink yourself and you can overthink you can overthink a problem. You can outthink yourself, and I've yeah. seen it happen time and time again in fights. I, I I've done it uh, exactly. several times. Before. I mean, especially like the moments you are starting to climb up the steps through the ropes. Like you're really starting to overthink yeah. everything. Yeah. And you're right. You cannot see the whole board at that at that point. You're 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 too focused on you know this one thing or two things, and then you're trying to make you're trying to force those things to happen because that's what you that's what that's the way it played out in your head but how things play out in your head isn't how necessarily things are going to play out in reality yeah and i'll tell you i think one of the biggest things that i've taken that i've taken away i mean i love that i got to read that book um but we were talking yesterday and jeff bezos has a really great uh he did this interview and i was telling you about it and i love it so much um Because it's kind of that goes back to that spaghetti on the wall. And at one point, uh, for those that can remember, uh, Amazon tried to do their cell phones. It was called the Fire Phone. And the Fire Phone just crashed and burned. And uh, Jeff Bezos lost a ton of money. And of course, you know, there were people that were waiting for that to happen so they can interview him and put him through the ringer and try to embarrass him. And they were like, so tell me about the Fire Phones. That was such a huge failure. And he was like, man, if you thought that was a huge failure, Wait till you see what I do next month. Yeah. That's going to be the biggest failure I ever yeah. make. Yeah. And the point of that being is that Jeff Bezos understood that he was going to continue to try new things. Yeah. And these some of these new things were going to succeed and a lot of them were going to fail. But he understood that once he identified what was succeeding and he began just to focus on those things, then that's where he was going to see a lot of success. But yeah. you cannot identify what's going to work yes. until you fail and fail yes. and fail. You've got yeah. to throw the spaghetti on the wall. Yeah,
2: that's the thing. And, and you're right. And that's, that's why um, I just believe it's the better way to do things, to, to put it out there, see what's working, and make adjustments. Because you can spend your whole life trying to figure out something that's going to work perfectly right from the get-go, but nothing does. And if you're so scared to try something because you're scared of failing, it's like, dude, then then this is, it ain't for you. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things that like being failure is just part of it. And i it's not, and I think I, we have to, you know, this is a, a, a saying that we've mocked before is, you know, you either win or you learn. And I, I don't <laughs> like that saying, because to me, it's like, it takes away the motivation to do better on something, which is the sting of failure. And sometimes that's a financial sting. Sometimes that's a sting of a, of a most fist hitting my lip right here. Um, <laughs> good punch. Um, you know, sometimes it's the sting of getting tapped out or getting humiliated or you know having stage fright or whatever it might be. But it's like to be like, oh, I just learned I didn't lose. It's like, well, I think you're just using semantics to get out of like the reality because it's like when you're playing you're competing in something one dude's winning and the other one's losing it, and that's how it goes and to sit there and try and semantic your way out of that to me is just silly because it's like you should lose and you should and embrace it and embrace like, it yeah that's
1: you know. a way of not embracing the loss you're right yeah. it's a way of being like it's a way of like skirting around and trying to tell people i still won right mm-hmm. like Embrace the loss, yeah. you should embrace the loss.
2: Yeah, because like, I think
1: the greatest fighters in the world ha- are the ones that have lost and come back 100 times better, yeah. and they only are able to do that because they embrace the loss.
2: Yes.: I agree. I agree. And, and so I think that, um, and it's just important because that's going to happen. And you know when it doesn't happen, I was thinking about this, one of the very first podcasts we ever did was talking about Tony Shea, the guy who started Zappos. And he was young when he first had success. Like he sold his first company when he was like 25. He made millions of dollars and they started Zappos. And that, that took a little while, but not that long. He was very successful by the time he was probably in his early 30s. And he died, you know, maybe what, a year and a half, two years ago, kind of by suicide. It was like a weird, he was like trying to see how long he could like, oxygen deprivation by like starting fires or like start like burning all these candles in front of him But he had from all I could read really 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 gone off the deep end the last Year two years of his life. He had been removed as the CEO of Zappos or had resigned one of the two And and I thought about that a lot because he was my age when he died. He was 48 and you and I talked a lot about how it's hard to be inspired by somebody who's successful early Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because it's almost like it was the end of his life. Him sort of admitting he was no longer inspired either, because it's like he was so successful so early. Then it's almost like, what else do you do? Versus somebody that's, you know, somebody more like an Elon Musk who is trying new things all the time and failing and failing gloriously. And you see what he's doing with Twitter. It's like I'll try this, and people are like, oh, that's stupid. He's like, okay, I'll try this, and like. You know, just working it out and being like, okay, this company is probably worth half what I paid for it now. That's so why I didn't want to buy it. But okay, that's what it is. But I think if I do this, this, and this, it'll be worth this. But we'll find out. It could be a huge failure. I don't know. And it's just like, he just puts it all out on the table there. And it's like, I love it.
1: So I mean, love that. Yeah. I
2: just prefer that much more because that to me is much more inspiring,
1: much more inspiring. That makes me want we'll to- Never try be to afraid fix. to fail. Yeah. So- yeah, what would life be like if you're just afraid to fail, then you're 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 not really living. You're just kind of existing in, until so you too. get old and die or whatever, right? I think so, too. Like, think it's the good. adventure of life is trying new things, and sometimes it's going to be success, and sometimes it's not. But you're going to figure out, hopefully, eventually what works. But even if it doesn't, it's the adventure of life. Yes, I agree. I think that's it. I think you just threw that microphone down. Boom. Boom. To re-listen to this episode or to check out our past episodes, go to the Jujitsu of Life. Also, check us out on iTunes. Like, review, subscribe. We appreciate your support. As always, I know that's my brother Carter, and we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the mat. Thank you for listening, guys. Thank you, guys.
0: That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by RoeBliss, makers of the world's finest custom jujitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the RoeBliss newsletter to get the exclusive content at roebliss.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat.